You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Mud. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to today's program with the unusual title, Mud. To find out about what it has to do with the Bible, you'll have to listen right through because all will be revealed at the very last. Flanders and Swan once wrote a song called The Hippopotamus Song and the chorus words went like this. Mud, mud, glorious mud, nothing quite like it for cooling the blood. So follow me, follow, down to the hollow, and there let us wallow in glorious mud. But the application of mud will come at the end. Now, I want to share with you a Bible story about an Old Testament prophet whose name was Balaam. The scene was that the Israelites who had left Egypt were on their way to the land God promised them that was called Canaan. The Lord was with the Israelites and had provided for them on their long journey. There were approximately two million people and they were encamped and in this particular instance near the borders of the land of Moab. The Moabites were terrified and realised that if war broke out, they would not win and many lives would be lost. They said to each other, and it's recorded in the book of Numbers, chapter 22 and verse 4, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. The king of Moab, Balak, came up with an idea. He thought that if he could get some supernatural help, that might save their bacon, so to speak. So he sent messengers to Balaam, who lived at Pethor some distance away. They delivered the message from their king for Balaam, the prophet, to come back to Moab and pronounce a curse on the Israelites. These messengers carried with them money and valuables to give to Balaam to curse the Israelites. Balaam should have told them to get lost, but instead he invited them to stay the night so he could inquire of the Lord. In the morning, Balaam told the messengers, and this is in verse 13, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. They went, but before long another large, more important delegation arrived bearing more money and valuables to give to Balaam if he would cooperate. Balaam knew that he could not curse the people the Lord had blessed, but seeing all those valuables must have made him wish that he could do something. Again, he asked the delegation to stay the night. During the night, the Lord spoke to Balaam and told him, 
Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. Now here I think God was testing Balaam's loyalty. Balaam knew that God would not lay a curse on his people, the people he was caring for, the people he was leading to Canaan. Next morning, Balaam got ready to leave with the Moabite delegation. And I'll read to you from Numbers chapter 22, verses 21 and 22. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. The donkey shied and turned off the path into a field. Balaam, angry at the donkey's strange behaviour, beat her and to try to get her back on the road. Obviously, the donkey could see the angel, but Balaam couldn't. Back on the path, they came to a narrow spot between two vineyards with stone walls on both sides, and the angel with the drawn sword again stood in the way. The donkey, unwilling to receive another beating, squeezed close to one side, crushing Balaam's foot against the wall in the process. Alas, Balaam, angry at having his foot injured, beat the poor donkey again. One must wonder, who was the donkey? The journey continued, but this time it was so narrow a place where the angel stood that the donkey had no choice but to stop and lay down. Balaam beat her again. But while this was happening, the donkey began to speak and said, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? I'm not sure if Balaam's brain was correctly processing what was happening. But he replied to the donkey and told it that if he had a sword with him, he would kill her. The donkey then asked if ever she had been unfaithful to him in the past. Balaam acknowledged that she had not. And then Balaam's eyes were opened so that he could see the angel standing in front of them. I've heard of other occasions when God caused animals to speak, and this was one of those times. There is no record of the donkey ever being able to speak afterwards. The angel had a message for Balaam, and he was told to go on with the men, but to only say what God revealed to him. Later, Balaam went to Balak, the king of Moab, to a lookout point where they could see the Israelites. And instead of cursing them, Balaam blessed them. Then they went to another lookout point, and Balaam, speaking only what the Lord revealed to him, again blessed the Israelites. Each time, Balak expected Balaam to curse the Israelites, and each time only blessings were pronounced until Balak 
frustrated at the whole business, sent Balaam home. I don't know if Balaam kept the money or not. But there are some things to learn from this story. Firstly, Balaam was a prophet of God. As a prophet, he was expected to be steadfast and faithful. He knew what was right, and he knew what God's will was, and that was to not depart from his commission. But probably the money and valuables tempted him, and he entertained the idea of going with Balak's envoys and become involved in some unholy activities. With the second wave of envoys, Balaam was even more strongly tempted and went. As I see the situation, Balaam abandoned his steadfastness in serving the Lord for worldly gain. Secondly, there is a lesson to learn from the donkey. That little animal had served her master faithfully all her life, And yet, in the space of a short time, when she was faced with a desperate situation, in trying to take evasive action, she behaved differently and was beaten cruelly for doing it. In the home, say, if a wife has faithfully cared for her husband, and one evening, because of having to attend to some emergency and not being able to prepare the evening meal on time, is that an excuse for her husband to get angry with her? Not at all. One little glitch does not cancel out all those years of faithfulness. Although Balaam eventually proclaimed what God wanted him to say, He turned his back on doing God's will and, disappointingly, went with the Moabite envoys. Balaam is remembered in later times as the man who turned away from his holy calling. Now, there is a group of Christians that has brought into its doctrinal beliefs the idea that God picks and chooses those he wants to save. This false doctrine is known as particular redemption. In effect, this doctrine says God and God only is responsible for who will be saved. Man has nothing to do with it, according to them. But worse than that, Those people believe that when God has made his choices, that person is saved forever, come hell or high water. The Protestant reformer John Calvin popularised this once-saved, always-saved idea. Currently, there are church groups that still hold that idea. But there is another similar concept floating around in various Protestant churches. It is, as I'm about to describe. This idea entails the fact that salvation is freely available to anyone who chooses to accept the merits and sacrifice of Jesus to save them from their sins. 
They do not believe that individuals play no part in determining who will be saved or not. All right, so far, so good. The majority of Christians believe that individual choices determine who will be saved or not. Now comes the similarity to the particular redemption group. This second group, then, believes that although each individual has a part to play in accepting salvation through Jesus Christ, they then go on to say that when this has happened, they will stay saved because Christ keeps them in that saved status. They seem to think that they have little to do with their salvation after their conversion because, as they maintain, Christ keeps them saved. Despite all the admonitions for believers to stand firm, to resist the devil, to grow in grace, and to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, this particular branch of belief simply states that all one has to do is sit back and Christ does all the necessary work for you. We're going to stop here and go on straight afterwards. Ask me how I know my God is real, and you may doubt the things I say and doubt the way that I feel, but I know He's real. His hand in mine, and that's enough for me. I will never walk alone, 
somebody has accepted Christ as their saviour, do they have to do anything or do they sit back and Christ does all the work for them? The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 to 14 wrote about his own experience. He said, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Does this suggest Paul was just sitting back? and taking it easy without making any personal effort to secure his own salvation? No, of course not. Paul strenuously emphasises that we have a part to play in both securing and maintaining our saved status. So what about the notion that when someone has been saved, they will remain saved. Well, the Apostle Peter had quite a lot to say about this issue in Second Peter chapter 2. He starts out by saying that in the past there have been false prophets and teachers and that these people will try to influence true believers. And that happened in his day and it was going to happen in the future pointing down to our times. In verse 2, he says, they, that's the false prophets, will secretly introduce destructive heresies into the church. He then points out that God did not spare rebel angels when they followed Satan in his rebellion in heaven nor did he spare the evil citizens of those sin-drenched cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Given the fact that there is a constant attack on God's people, Peter acknowledges that some Christian believers have left their former saved status lives and have turned away from the truth. And I'll read what he says to you from Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. It says, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the way of wickedness. Balaam, if you remember what I shared with you earlier in this program, knew what was right. He knew he should not curse the Israelites because they were God's people. 
But despite all that, he chose to go with Balak's messengers because of the promise of wealth. The same thing happens with Christians. Some abandon their faith and go back doing what they did in their former pagan lives. And here are some very stern words from Peter. It's from Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. He says, If they, that's the Christians, have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. So then, from what Peter has pointed out, there are Christians who turn their backs on Christianity and go back into their worldly lives. Once saved, always saved, does not apply to them. Those Christian believers who maintain that when someone accepts Christ and becomes a believer must have overlooked what Peter had to say as well. And just in case you might think Peter was not speaking about actual people, the Apostle Paul names some of those who were once in the faith and then abandoned their lives in Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, here Paul is quite explicit. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And then there was Demas, mentioned first in Colossians 4.14, who sent his greetings as a worker for Christ to the church at Colossae, and then the next mention is in 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. And here Paul has this to say about him. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Obviously Demas had abandoned his faith. That widely read Christian author, E.G. White, has given Christians this advice. Never be ashamed of your faith. Never be found on the side of the enemy. You are the light of the world. Your faith is to be revealed as precious truth, truth which all should have and all must have if they are saved. We should fight the good fight of faith and be found steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, 
What about the mud I mentioned at the beginning of today's program? Well, we go back to the Apostle Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Here, Peter is talking about those Christians who forsake their lives with Christ and go back into the world. He says, Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a pig that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. It's a fallacy that when once a person is saved that they cannot be unsaved. It's a fallacy that when once someone is saved, they are always saved. It's also a fallacy that we do not need to work at remaining saved. Christians need to read and understand the Word of God. They need to pray and ask for strength to be strong, to resist the influences that will pull them away from their stand to serve the Lord. They need to make personal decisions to resist temptation. They need to be aware that they will be under constant attack to derail them from serving the Lord. Let us remain strong in Christ. Let us not be like a dog that goes back to its vomit or like a clean pig that wants to wallow in dirty mud again. Well, that's it for today. Why don't you join me next time for more from God's Word, the Bible? Until then, I wish you peace and strength to remain firm in serving the Lord and that you be someone who earnestly awaits the return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Oh